a wonderful 67-week journey tonight. No one else seems excited about it like I am. I'm excited about it. 67-week journey. It's going to be a long one, but it's going to be a good one. I'm excited this morning as we started the book of Ephesians, and I hope that you got a little thirst this morning to continue to be here and to hear the series of messages as we go through the book of Ephesians tonight. We start with an introduction to the Bible, then next week we'll start in the book of Genesis, and I'll give you a summary of the book of Genesis next Sunday evening. So we will dive right into things tonight. The Bible is an amazing book. There is no book on the face of the planet like our Bible. No book compares. No book is anything like the Word of God. God's, it's God's Word. It's a special book. I've had so many people tell me, oh, well, man wrote the book. If you realize all the things that go in to make up the Bible, and 40 different authors over a span of 1,600 years, 1,600 years, 40 different authors, and they all agree and complement each other all throughout the pages of the Bible. The Bible does not have any contradictions in it. Everything lines up verse by verse, chapter upon chapter, precept upon precept. The Bible's an amazing book. And yet most Christians don't know much about the Word of God. You hold the most powerful book tonight in your hands. There is no book like this book. There's no book that compares to this book. God's Word is the ultimate book. And we'll spend our days reading books. How many books have been around 6,000 years? Parts of it. Written some 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, and still read today. Can you find me a book that does that? Can you find me a book that the last time anything new was written in it was over 1,900 years ago? And it's still read today. It still has power in it today. And I've been a Christian a long time, but I'm continuing to learn and I'm continuing to grow in the Word of God. The Word of God is an amazing book. We see right here in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, we look at verse number 16, it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. God has given us His Word. And what a book it is that we have in our hands. You're there in 2 Timothy 3. Go back to chapter number 2. Look down at verse number 15. Why should we study the Word of God? Why should we learn more about it? Because the Bible tells us to. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The Bible tells us here that we as Christians are to study the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God. My goal over the next 67 weeks that we do this series is to give you some help for when you study the Word of God, to give you some background into each book to help you in your Bible study. I want to encourage you tonight, you have three pages there for tonight's notes. What I would do is I'd take the staple out of that, and I would put a three, I would get a, um, put a, a hole punch there, three hole punch there. And then what I would do is I'd put it in a notebook. And I would take this, and then the next 66 weeks, and I would add every single outline to this book 
You'll have all 66 books of the Bible, I'll tell you. I'm not going to give you every detail of the book because we don't have time to give you every detail. We're doing an overview. If we were to go right now, think of it this way. If we were to drive into, let's say, I say L.A., but I have no real desire to tour L.A. in any way. I'm a San Diego guy myself. I love the city of San Diego. That's my favorite city. And my dumb chargers had to move from there. Why they had to do that, I don't know, but they did it to me. But San Diego is my favorite city. The weather's beautiful. It's a beautiful place. Phil's Barbecue's down there, amen, about that. And if you don't know what Phil's Barbecue is, you are missing out. Even no matter whatever Joe and Maria say, they just don't understand how good Phil's Barbecue truly is. And there's nothing like a beef rib from Phil's Barbecue. Anyway, so get off food and get back to the message, Brian. We could go... And we could tour every little detail of San Diego and take a very long time to do it. Or we could fly in an airplane over San Diego and say, hey, look, here's San Diego. What we're going to be doing over the next 67 weeks is not going little spot by spot. We're going, we're flying over. I'm giving you an overview. It will help you with an outline of each book. There will be a lot of things to help you. Some of the minor prophets and things you didn't even realize were in the Bible, you'll understand why they're there. There's lots of things to be a help in those areas. But we as the people of God need to learn to study the Word of God. Some of us proclaim great faith in the Bible, but sincerity in our belief that it is true is no guarantee of understanding it. There was a king, his name was Melech, Menelik II. He was the emperor of Ethiopia. A hundred years ago had great faith in the Bible. Get this. When he felt sick, he ripped out a few pages out of the Bible and he ate them to help him feel better because God's words were powerful. Yes, this is a true story. It's not made up. This is true. That was his regular practice. He was recovering from a stroke in December of 1913 when he began to feel really sick. He asked an aide to tear out the complete books of First and Second Kings and he died before he ate both of those books. I hope you don't take it that literal that you're supposed to eat those pages. Spiritually speaking, we should be desiring the Word of God. And it's sweeter than honey, than the honeycomb, it says in Psalm chapter number 19. And as we go through here tonight, I'm going to give you some simple things to help you. I want you to think of the Old Testament and New Testament in two different ways. And Joe, I know you're learning that board back there. I haven't even gotten to the screen yet. When I get there, you'll know when we get there, and we'll get there to your notes. So Hold still with your notes. If you want to write something down now, feel free to, but we'll get there in just a minute. <clears throat> a lot of people say the Old Testament's outdated. We don't need the Old Testament. We live under grace. We live, and we do live under grace, and I thank God for grace. But one thing I want you to realize tonight as we dive in, the Old Testament's an important part of the Bible. You see, you could break it up into two ways. The Old Testament would be the promises made by God, whereas the New Testament's going to be the promises is kept by God. And that thing's going to trip me right there. A screw came out of that. I'll just have to stay, I'll have to stay up here tonight. They don't separate. The Old Testament promises made, New Testament promises kept. People have been trying since the second century to discount the Old Testament as outdated or unnecessary. But if we ignore the Old Testament, we ignore the basis and the foundation for the New Testament. And the Old Testament is important. Sometimes people will look and say, well, the Old Testament portrays God as an angry God. The Old Testament portrays God as a holy God. And God does not like sin. 
But that God that can't stand sin is the same God who sent his son to die on the cross to take our place for our sin. You cannot have the New Testament God without the Old Testament God. That's how it works. It's important. Don't try and separate the two. Where would we be if we didn't have the book of Genesis and know where, how sin entered into the picture and how God promised his son to come, born of a woman to bruise the serpent's head? What if we just throw all that out? It's not very wise to do that. All the Bible, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Old Testament's important. New Testament's important. We need to spend time in the Word of God. We need to learn to study it. Take a little bit of time tonight. You have your notes there, and we're going to dive right into these notes. One of the things as we dive in tonight, I, um, I teach at a Bible college not too far away. And one of the areas that I've taught for a long time is I've taught about the Word of God. My favorite topic in all the world is to teach about the Bible. I've taught a class on how to study the Word of God. Do I count myself a great student and the best at studying it? No, but I'm growing in my studying of the Word of God. But my favorite class to teach on is about the Bible and the Word of God. And it's amazing when you teach a class how much you study for yourself and how much you learn. I mean, I, before I ever started teaching this class, I had a Bible college degree. I learned Bible. I had lots of different things. But I'll tell you this, teaching a bunch of college students, I've learned way more than what I did saying in a classroom. And tonight I'm just going to give you some statistics, some stats about the Bible. We're going to talk about the middle verse of the Bible. Do you know what the middle verse of the Bible is? Do you know how many words are in the Bible? Do you know, I'm going to give you lots of little things tonight just to Wet your interest for the Word of God and give you some introduction as we dive in here tonight. The first thing that we see as we talk about, as we introduce the Bible, we talk about number one, we talk about its names and titles. Its names and titles. There are several names used for the Christian book, the Bible. Some of them are more common names and, and titles, but I'm going to give those to you tonight. The first one that we see is this. It's called the book. <coughs> the book. The Bible talks about it in Mark 12, 26, Luke 3, and in the book of Acts, the Bible. Where do we get the name Bible from to begin with? It's an anglicization of a Greek word, biblios and biblia, which means book. In time, the word came to reference the sacred book of scriptures. And let me just remind you of something tonight. The Bible is not just a book. It's the book. It's the book. In Scripture, it's called the book. Next thing that we see, letter B, it's called the Old and New Testament. Two things given here for us. There are Scriptures that we can look at about the Old and New Testament. The word testament, it means a covenant or an agreement. So a great way to think of it is this. The Old Testament is the Old Covenant of the law, whereas the New Testament is the New Covenant or the New Agreement of grace. So the Bible split up into two different sections, Old Testament, New Testament. Some of you are saying, Pastor, this is really elementary level. That's where we're beginning. You wait till we get to the book of Genesis and we get through other books of the Bible. There'll be a lot of things you'll learn. There are some elementary level things here that we're looking at. The Bible is also called not only the book, the Old and New Testament, but it's also called the Scriptures. We see that here in our text in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It says, all Scripture 
is given by inspiration of God. The word scripture is a translation of the, of the Greek word graphe, which means writing. So literally, the scriptures are the holy writings of God. So some names and titles when it comes for the Bible. The book, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the scriptures, and letter D. The word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. We see another name for the Bible, the word of God. And this is the most significant, most pictorial, most complete name. It's the name that causes us to recognize the Bible as God's word. It is God's word. It's not man's words. It's God's word. The word of God. And many people, and this isn't part of my message tonight, but the, how do you explain that men wrote the word of God? They're men's words. That's what I get told a lot. Let me give you a little example here. So everybody's watching me, right? You're looking at me. And if you know what I'm doing here, don't spoil it for everyone else. See the word high? Did I just write the word high on here? No, I didn't. My pen wrote it. The instrument I chose wrote my words. God's instrument to pen his words was a man. Man was a tool in the hands of God to pen his words. Great little illustration right there that kind of helps you understand inspiration a little bit. You say, Pastor, that doesn't help me too much. Then uh, you're never going to really figure it out because God does things that you're... Then we talk about the spring. There's some mysteries you just don't know all about, and that could be one for you. We see the scriptures. We see the word of God. <clears throat> I want you to take your Bibles with me. I have a little project for you to do. I want you to take your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and this is a little project for you. So, like I said this morning, my sermon this morning and tonight, a little bit more teachy in style. Next week will be more preachy. It's a little bit more teachy. In the book of Psalms, 119, the, that chapter of the Bible refers to, there's tons of verses there, 176 verses there. Each one of them, and most of them mention the Bible in one way or another. There are several different words used for the Bible. Now what I want you to do is you look, don't say it out loud, don't spoil it for anyone else, see how many different names you can find for the Bible in Psalm 119. I will give you one, the law. Law is the Bible. There are many others. You look real quick, I'm going to give you a couple minutes. You don't need to say them out loud, see how many you find. I had one college student one time say, kept, that's one. No, the kept is not one, okay? No, 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 no. I, no, 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 no. That's not another word for the Bible there. So show me, you just figure it out real quick. Look there real quick, Psalm 119. Count how many different names you can find for the Bible. <coughs> oh, I can smell some brains thinking right now. Are we getting anywhere? How many found 15? I didn't think you'd find that many. How many of you found six? Six? There's, so I, there's six I see. There might be a few more. I see a main six. So I'll help you out. Law would be one. Testimonies. 
Another one, commandments is one. Precepts is one. Statutes is one. Judgments is one. And so you see there in the scriptures, there are several titles in the book of Psalms that talk about the word of God. Now, since you're there in Psalms already, go to Psalm 19 for a second. Psalm 19. Sometimes we see some of these words and we don't realize that God is talking about his word. Psalm 19. Look down at verse number 7. This is talking about the Bible. Are you ready? Psalm 19, verse number 7. Like I said, tonight it's a little bit more teachy. It's going to take you a little bit tonight. And this is, but next week you'll go back to how it normally is. This is an over, this is an introduction tonight. And so you're seeing a multifaceted sermon here tonight. We see, you look at Psalm 19, look at verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. What's the law of the Lord? The Bible. The Bible is perfect. The Bible says converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. The Bible is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord, they're right. The Bible, it's right. We keep on reading there in verse number 8. It says, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all to be together. And then it says in verse number 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Our desire should be towards the Word of God. That's what we see right here. So you see these titles from Psalms, the law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments. And we see here are some names for the Word of God. Number two tonight, <coughs> we, <coughs> we see the Bible's content. The Bible's content. I'm going to break it down a little bit for you, and uh, that will be a help to you. And this is just Caroline's water. She drinks it in fancier things, so it's just water up here. And so we look there, and the Bible's content. Letter A, there are 66 books in the Bible. 66. Of those 66, the Old Testament has 39 books. 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books are in the New Testament. And you take 39 and 27, and what number do you get, class? 66. 62. No, no, 66. It's 66. Some of our math students in school. So think about this. The Bible, letter A here, contains 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 in the New. But letter B, the Bible is one book. It bears witness of one God. It forms in those 66 books one story, one continuous story. It has one plan of salvation. And get this, it has one central theme. And the central theme from Genesis through Revelation is Jesus Christ. He's the theme of the Bible. We see it's a book made of 66 books, yet it's one book about one God, one continuous story, one plan of salvation, one central theme, Jesus Christ. Now we get to number three. Am I moving too fast? Are you able to keep up? Anybody having any issues? Are we okay? We're all okay? All right, here we go, number three. We see the Bible's composition, how it's made up. 
First of all, letter A. You what? You don't have number three? <coughs> oh, it's on the back. There it is. So we try to say paper, so we go front and back sometimes. So um, number three, we see the Bible's composition. Now, if some of you afterwards tonight, you're like, Pastor, I lost you partway through. Pay attention. At the end, you can have my notes up here, and you can get anything you're missing, and I'll be just fine. So we talk about its writers. I mentioned this earlier. There are approximately 40 human authors who were used to pen the Word of God. And think about this. These men were separated by time and their station in life. 40 different people. So we've got 5, 9, 12. Basically, we have... 38 people sitting right here on this side tonight. Imagine all of you over a time span of 1,600 years pinning down words and it agreeing completely and entirely together. There's no way that's possible. Let's say we took one year and wrote it over a year. All 40 in this room that were to write it couldn't do it because we would all disagree on certain points. We might all see something happen. You hear of a, let's see, a crime scene after a crime has happened. And you have multiple witnesses there. Most of the time, those who see the same exact thing, their stories don't always line up. So I have an, you, old police officers here, retired police officers, stories are different. Some people see it this way. Someone might have seen it this way. And they don't agree always. And that's someone who saw the same thing at the same time. But this is 40 different people over 1,600 years. Think back today, 1,600 years from 2019. What year would we be? 419, correct? Were there cars back in 419? There wasn't a whole lot of anything back in 419. That's a long time ago. Imagine all that time length, 40 different writers through all that time. And yet it totally agrees with one another. What an amazing book. It goes from Moses, written about 1500 B.C., to John, written around 100 A.D., about 1600 years' time. We talk about its composition. We talk about its writers. We talk about the period of its writing. We talk about its language. The Bible was not originally written in English. I might have burst at someone's bubble there. God did not speak English Maybe he does now. I, we all, I think in heaven we're all going to speak English because it's the best language, right? But no, that's not how in the Bible we see, generally speaking, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament and Koine Greek, common Greek, for Hebrew. And some of you, if you go to Psalm, if you ever go back to Psalm 119, it's very interesting. Each eight verses are sectioned off and they go through the entire Hebrew alphabet from the beginning to the end, every eight verses is sectioned off and goes through the entire Hebrew alphabet. Now, I took Hebrew in Bible college, and I took Greek in Bible college. And Greek is a monster beyond anything that anybody should have to go through, number one. Number two, Hebrew is even worse. When you're reading right to left instead of left to right, there's just issues with that language. And I tell you, I took these in college and took Hebrew and Greek. It was like learning a completely different language I'd never heard before. It was very tough for me. And so, no one thought that was funny. Normally I get a laugh when I say that. But the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in Kunai, common Greek. 
Some parts of Daniel were written in Surik, and some words in the New Testament are Aramaic. It's the languages in which it was written. Now, for sake of time, sometime, if, and if anybody wants to know this, I'm not going to have time through this series, and maybe at the end I'll go through it. I had a man come up to me today, and he decided that he told me, I'm going to rebuke you in the name of Jesus for something you said this morning. So, okay, he rebuked me in the name of Jesus and said he was God's mouthpiece to rebuke me on something today. That was all right. But then he got into the King James Bible thing, and he's like, why are you a King James, a King James only guy? I said, because I'm right and you're wrong. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> and God, uses, God works through any of the versions of the Bible. I said, I'm not going to say he doesn't work. I'm just going to say I've done plenty of study, plenty and plenty of study, and I am as sure as I can be that the King James Bible is the preserved, inspired Word of God, and I do not believe any other version is. And that's where I stand. You can go to a lot of different churches and go ask the pastor what Bible is the inspired, preserved Word of God, and they won't give you an answer. What they'll do is the pastor will find which version of the Bible he likes to fit his sermon, and he'll shape his sermon around multi-versions of the Bible because it fits his wording better. And when we're trying to make the molding and fit the wording of the Scriptures to what we want to say, we got issues. We need the Bible. We need God's Word. And were the King James writers any better than any the other writers? It's the text it comes from. You can have an NIV, a New American Standard. You can go through the list, the ESV. You can have these different Bibles. And they say they're the same thing, just updated. They come from different texts. The King James Bible comes from the Texas Receptus text of the New Testament. The NIV, the New American Standard, the ESV, they come from the critical text. The Vaticanus, the Synaticus, these different books they come from. And I'll tell you tonight, you say, well, pastor, none of those things just really matter to me. And you do what you want to do. My job as a pastor is to preach the word of God and to preach the truth to you. You do what you want to do. And I've had some people say, well, pastor, I really don't think, care what your opinion is on it. I'm going to keep using my version of the Bible. You do whatever you want to do. <clears throat> but I'll tell you this. If you really feel that your version is so much better, do me a favor. Have a King James Version and have whatever one you use and compare the two when you go through each passage of Scripture. And then I, ha I remember one time I had, a, I had a husband and wife, and they were sincere, sweet people. They were not trying to be, you know, they weren't coming to rebuke me in the name of Jesus like I got this morning, but they just honestly had some sincere questions. They sat down and said, you said there aren't, the verses are missing in my Bible. They fl flopped their new NIV on my, pulp, on my desk and said, prove it to me. I said, okay. I said, here, here's some references. Acts 8, 37. Wasn't found. 1 John 5, 7. Wasn't found. Um, Mark chapter 16, past verse number 9, wasn't found. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost, wasn't found. When you remove Scripture, there's big issues with all of that. But as I said, this series is not into the, but I think everyone knows, and if you come here very long, or you look at our website, or you look at anything that I do, I'm a King James man. That's who I am. And that's where I stand. And that's where our church stands. Any of the teaching that goes on is King James. Back in the day, I heard, you know, I've never, I never did Awanas as a kid. 
One of the reasons I've never started it was I heard that they went to a different Bible version and that was the problem with it. They compromised. They have a King James Version still, a WANA program. That's the reason why we're going to do it because that's what we use. Our, VB, our VBS material, they offer you it in the ESV and the KJV. We use the KJV. That's what we use. And that's where we stand. And I would just be grateful for a church that stands somewhere and said, find whichever one you like and use whichever one you like. No, we need the word of God. And Jesus did say, man shall not live by bread alone, but just some of the word. No, every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And so we see its languages. Now when we get to number four, we see the construction of the Bible and how it's set up. We see the Old Testament. Now something that we got to realize the Bible is not put on that. You cannot see that very well, can you? I think it's on your papers there, so you can see it a little clearer there. This is not, the Bible is not set up in chronological order. Do you know the oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job? It's the oldest book. Written around the time of Abraham. So that's the oldest book in the Bible. What we see is the Bible is broken up into sections. We see the Old Testament, we have the books of the law, which would be Genesis through Deuteronomy. Those are the books of the law. You have the history of Israel. You have <coughs> Joshua through Esther. Those are the historical books of the Old Testament. From the book of Job through Song of Solomon, you have the poetical books of the Old Testament. So you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. They're the poetical books. And then you have the prophecy books, which are broken up between the major prophets, which are Isaiah through Daniel. And then you have the minor prophets, Hosea through Malachi. Now, just so you understand the distinction between the two, a major and minor prophet doesn't mean that one was more important than the other. They are both just as important as one another. A major prophet is a lot bigger book. The last major prophet would be Daniel, and I believe there are 12 chapters in the book of Daniel. But then most of the minor prophets, they're all small books. The book of Haggai is two, cha two chapters. So it's not by what's important, what's not important. No, a major prophet's just a bigger portion of Scripture, where a minor prophet's a smaller portion, but it's just as important. But most Christians have no clue about the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And there is rich goodness... So, some of my favorite studies is of some of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. I love it. And if you ever are going to study those books, I, and just so you know, if you decide, hey, pastor, how do you study a book of the Bible? How do you do these different things? One of the things, I have a lot of tools that I have that I use, a lot of great books that have been given to me that I use. If there's ever a book of the Bible that you're studying, you say, pastor, what are, give me some help on that. I'll, you can come to my library and I'll give you books. You can use whatever you want of my stuff to try and help you study the Word of God. And it'll help you with certain ones. The book of Haggai is one of my favorite minor prophets. And I got some wonderful books on that if anybody's ever interested. So anyways, we see the Old Testament's constructions of the law, history, poetical, and then prophecy. And then from the book of Malachi till the book of Matthew, go back one screen. I wasn't quite there, just about there at the very bottom there. From Malachi to Matthew, there are 400 years, silent years, that nothing happened. God did not speak during that 400-year period. Now, there are, there are a lot of Bibles that would have, and even the King James when it first came out, they had the apocryphal books there, the apocrypha there in the middle. The apocrypha, 
There is no proof that they are inspired by God. There's no proof to back that. They were in there maybe for some history during that time, but the thing that will happen is some Catholic doctrine comes from those books, and that's why they're important to some groups of people. So we see the Old Testament is written, and then there's 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. So we see how the Old Testament is constructed. Now we see the New Testament. The New Testament's constructed, and uh, it looks fairly similar we see that we have the New Testament, we have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different aspects of Jesus Christ. Each one of those books portrays Christ in a different light. And it's very interesting, if you read the book of Revelation, and it talks about the four beasts that are in heaven, they're crying, holy, holy, and they rest, those beasts, they line up pretty well with what the Gospels are. The book of Matthew portrays Christ as the Son of God. The book of Mark portrays Christ as a servant. The book of Luke portrays Christ as the perfect son of man. And then the book of John portrays Christ as the son of God. So you have the Gospels, four different looks into the life of Christ. You have the Gospels. Next you have the history book of the New Testament, which is the book of Acts. That's where we get the history of the church, how the church started, how the day of Pentecost happened, how missions got started, how all these things happened from the history of the church in the book of Acts. And then you have two sets of epistles. You have Pauline's epistles, which are Romans through Philemon. And I also, I will tell you this, I'm a firm believer that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. There are people that don't agree with that because it doesn't say it in there. And if you want to say differently, that's totally fine on here. I put Hebrews as a general epistle just to appease some people in that realm. But Hebrews through the book of Jude are general epistles. So we have two types of epistles. And then we have the prophecy book of Revelation. Do you see how there's some similarities between the Old Testament setup and the New Testament setup? Now, <coughs> where are we at with time? Sometimes I get carried away with all this stuff. We'll go through a few more things. And I know tonight some of you are thinking, Pastor, how many of you are, how many of you are on over, uh, information overload yet? Anybody? No? We're okay? All right, good. We're still there. And uh, you know a lot about a topic that you love normally. And every Christian should know a lot about the Word of God. We see number five, the Bible symbols, what it's called in Scripture. We see... The Bible symbols, the first thing is a mirror. And it's revealing power. It reveals to us what's wrong. You know, why do you look in a mirror? To see if there's something on your face. To see if your hair is not in the right spot. Ladies, you look in a mirror to see if the makeup's just right. And, uh, you know, if the bar needs paint and paint it, whatever you got to do there. And uh, so you look at a mirror to make sure everything is good. Well, the Word of God, it, symbol it symbolizes the mirror because the Word of God will be like, Ooh, Brian, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. It shows you your imperfections. It convicts us. We see that the Word of God, it's a seed. And the regenerative power of the Word of God, it's a mirror, it's a seed. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that the Bible, another symbol for the Bible is a lamp. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. What, thy, thy, let's see. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. A lamp, it lights up the dark path. The Bible is next, letter D, it's a sword. And it's called a two-edged sword. That's because of the convicting power in it. That's why the Bible says the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharpening a two-edged sword. 
Because it just gets in there and splices you and cuts you open. There's conviction in the Word of God. It's like a hammer. Book of Jeremiah, because of the destructive power and the power in the Word of God. Another symbol would be a tree. The flourishing power. Proverbs 3.18, chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. Proverbs. A few other symbols would be water. The cleansing power. And it has the power to cleanse you from your sin and to help you to grow. And then I put down, look at that steak down there. Doesn't that steak look good? Anyways, let's keep on going here. It's referred to milk, meat, bread, and honey because of its nourishing, sustaining, and satisfying power. And those are just some of the symbols that are given for the Word of God. When we talk about the Word of God, and we're rounding the finish line, we're getting here towards the end here. We'll be done in a couple minutes. We get to number six, we see the theme of the Bible. Who did I already tell you is the theme of the Bible? Jesus Christ is the theme of the Bible. From the very beginning to the very end, it's all about Jesus Christ. Look at what it says here. Look, the Old Testament was anticipation for Christ's coming. The New Testament was the realization that Christ had come. The books of the law were foundation for Christ. The history, talking about how the Jews came about and the, through David and all these kings, the preparation was in place for the king. The poetry books in the book of Psalms, these different passages are the aspirations for Christ to come. And then you have major and minor prophets, and those were the expectation of Christ's coming. And then you have the New Testament, you have the Gospels, it was the manifestation of Christ. You have the history books that propagate, the, propagate who Christ is. You have the epistles of the interpretation of Christ. And then the prophecy, the book of Revelation, is the consummation or the ultimate revealing of who Jesus Christ really is. The whole theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ. We're at the ver- is that it for your notes there? All right, I got a few statistics for you. Just a few little things to give you, and we'll be done here in a minute. Now, if you say, Pastor... I don't know if this is true. You go through and you count and tell me if I'm right or wrong, okay? There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible. 929 in the Old Testament, and there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. The shortest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 117. It is two verses long. The longest chapter of the Bible is Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 is all about the Bible. The middle chapter of the Bible is Psalm 117. Listen to these verses from from Psalm 117. Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise Him, all ye people. For His merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. The middle chapter, that's what it is. Praise ye the Lord. There are, get this, 31,000. 174 verses in the Bible. The middle verses in the Bible is number 15,587 and 15,588. And those verses, this is what they are. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Those are the two middle verses of the Bible. What a powerful thought, the middle of the Bible. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Better trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. 
The longest verse in the Bible. Some of our school students know this verse from writing it, Esther 8, 9. And it's a long verse. Shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five, And you could add rejoice evermore. There's two of them that have two, two words. In the Bible, there are 774,746 words. And the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone, but every word. That's a lot of words. And think about this one with me. The Bible says that not one jot or one tittle shall pass away. Not one crossing of the T or dotting of the period will pass away. 774,746 words. What a book. The shortest book of the Bible is 2 John. So tonight... We started our journey just a little bit. A lot of statistics, a lot of things to help us. And next week, we will dive into the book of Genesis. And we'll break it up into three sections. And we'll break it down a little further than that. But I sincerely believe that if you take some time and be here and be a part of this series, you will know more about the Word of God than what you did before you came. And every Christian should desire to know the Word of God. It's an amazing book. And let me just say something tonight. God's word can and will change your life if you let it. We need his word. Father, thank you for the time that we've had tonight. Thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for your love for us. Bless us this week. Bless camp and bless our young people as they go. And Father, bless our evening. We love you. We need you. We give you all the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You're dismissed tonight. Men, if you didn't get to